Talking Illinois High School Football. If your goals are as high as you talk about, tonight's the night you go out and just take one more step. It's a view from the West. And it starts right now! Welcome into another episode of View from the West podcast, the podcast covering local high school football on the western side of the state of Illinois. We cover the Western Big Six, the Lincoln Trail Conference, the Three Rivers Athletic Conference, and of course, we cover the Conference of Champions, the NUIC 11-man and the 8-man ranks. I give that introduction because Kyle Kampmeyer is listening. He's already pumping his fist. Kyle, the preview episodes are here, and we're kicking off basically where we left off last year. We were talking about the NUIC between Polo winning the eight-man state title and Lena Winslow winning the 11-man state title. Here we are. We're back. We're talking season previews for 2022. Kyle, thanks for being here. Welcome back. We're, we're talking some real football here. It's right around the corner. Yeah, it's awesome. I mean, it's hard to believe that we're already at the end of July and we're getting ready to turn that corner. Taxes are starting up in two weeks already. Um, it's the summer's flying by fast. We're starting to see all these football camps come to a close and all these seven on seven starting back up. And before you know it, we're going to be hitting the sidelines. Yeah. I've been seeing on Twitter, the, uh, you know, seven on seven camps and just some different team camps going on. It's been a ton of fun to see that energy kind of back. So, you know, without any further ado, Kyle, we'll, we'll get into our team previews. So we're going to start with the NUIC on the 11-man side of things. And the conference looks a little different this year. We have East Dubuque, who is now co-oping with the Wisconsin School. So their uh, travel will be going up into the state of Wisconsin. So we, we kind of lose them, unfortunately, in the NUIC football ranks. But back in the NUIC 11-man division here in Illinois is West Carroll. So um, give me a little bit of background. I guess we'll start there. We'll start with, you know, West Carroll being back. They were out a year because they had pretty low numbers of their upperclassmen, their juniors and seniors. What do you know about West Carroll heading into this uh, 2022 season at the varsity level? Well, you know, when uh, Matt Leitzen left West Carroll to come to Stockton, where his alma mater is, um, that left an opening and in came Tao Clark, the new head coach. What we expect out of West Carroll is um, not a lot, unfortunately, at this time, because one, we know that they're still going to be very youthful um, and they're not going to have that varsity experience for the past two seasons under their belt, like every team in the conference will have. When you're looking at the conference that they step into, it's we're going to talk about a lot of really talented football teams that, like you said, have that experience and they they have a much greater foundation to build from. So, it, you know, it, it's an uphill climb, I think, for West Carroll. It's great that they're back. I hope they can keep numbers up and that they can, you know, continue to participate. You know, so, so those kids have the chance to play football. Looking at their schedule, every uh, NUIC team will have one non-conference game. Theirs is Abingdon Avon, who had a really good year last year in the Lincoln Trail. So I don't know if they'll be quite the same team. I think they graduated quite a bit. But either way, that's not an easy non-conference game either. So it really is, you know, a, a tough uphill climb for West Carroll. But like you said, it, it's good to see them back um, competing, you know, in the NUIC 11-man division. Well, Kyle, let's transition to a team you know very well. 
the Dakota Indians. They've struggled for a few years here, but new head coach. Seems like there's a lot of new energy around that Dakota program. What have you seen? What do you know about the Dakota Indians heading into 2022? Well, you know, numbers were starting to decline heavily at Dakota. Um, in steps a new face in Coach Dan Sheets, who was the defensive coordinator for the Indians. So he was there with them last year when they suffered through their 2-7 and seven season. Um, was able to get out in the hallways, make the right changes, get other people involved with the program. I'm seeing 15 seniors with, yeah, upwards of uh, more than 50 players now in the program. So that's that's a great, you know, that's a great sign for a team that's been struggling. Yeah, I mean, he added almost 20 kids off of what they had just a season ago when they were talking about eight-man football. And I think that's kind of the direction of where things started to turn south for Dakota. It was the talks because um, in Indian Nation – they don't want to play eight-man football. They want to play 11-man football. They want to be in the NUIC. They want to play the teams that they've always played, and they're very prideful. I mean, Dakota is a very prideful community all the way around, and you get the natives restless and upset and start going against their wishes, you're going to have some troubles, and that's kind of where the water is laid there. But as far as what Coach Sheets is doing, there is a lot of excitement uh, around the program. Um, one of the uh, uh, coaches uh, for Dakota this year is a former NIU player uh, who is married into a Dakota family. Um, and he's from East Dubuque originally, went to uh, Dubuque Hempstead for high school, however. Um, and uh, he's going to be a very good addition uh, both to their strength conditioning program and their and their defensive program as well. Um, like you said, uh, lots of numbers, lots of excitement. Yeah, looking through, you know, some of the guys that they got on their offensive side of the ball, Adrian Arellano, 115 carries a year ago, 444 career rushing yards, had four touchdowns. Uh, Tug Dornink, wide receiver, had a couple touchdown uh, receptions. Caden Niedermeyer, a name we said quite a bit last year, is back. So I think you have a lot of established um, players who hopefully can, you know, keep things moving in the right direction. I know um, Arellano and Dornick were both all state in track. So I know we talked a lot last year about their speed, if they can utilize that. You know, that's the, that's the magic, you know, is how do you utilize it? How do you get those guys in space? And that's, that's why I'm not a football coach. I let somebody else figure it out. But it's good to have that speed, certainly. Well, that was one of the downfalls to last year's team. Their, their three biggest linemen never went out for football. They were sitting in the weight room down in Duran lifting weights, but never played football due to differences of opinions. Um, but, you know, you start to get some of these guys back out, and line play is critical in order to utilize that speed and get it out in space. And last year they didn't have those capabilities, so they tried to do a more offensive balance passing attack with a rushing attack that just did not work out with the linemen that they had available to them. Um, and now with the addition of the players that they have coming back out, they should see themselves with some more formidable linemen to be able to make the game play the way they want it to, which is going to be more that traditional style wing T double wing type offense, probably throw in some play action, maybe go spread here and there at times too, since they already have it in the playbook. That way they can change up their offensive schemes and looks. 
Coach Sheets said completely new offense and defensive systems that they'll be running. So, you know, that's that's always interesting because how fast kids pick that up and how well they can execute it when they're kind of learning on the fly, especially in those first couple of weeks. But I think just overall, the energy and the excitement seems to be back in that Dakota program. And that, that's great to see. Um, I should mention, you know, we talked about Adrian Arellano on offense, on the defensive side of the ball, 100 tackles, 117 tackles for loss, three and a half sacks, a fumble recovery. So he's doing it on both sides of the ball. That's a huge impact piece to have back for this Dakota team. So we'll see how they do uh, going into this 2022 season. Well, Kyle, let's move down the road a little bit to Duran Pecatonica, a team that really kind of put themselves on the map last year. They had been on the rise over the past few seasons, but last year was finally that year that they kind of got over that hump. You know, they went 8-0 in the NUIC, their first ever conference title, only regular season loss to a really good Decatur St. Teresa team who went 9-0 in the regular season. That being said, this 2022 squad it looks a little different. They lost some guys from last year, but man, it still seems like there's a lot of talent for coach Hoffman in this, in this Dupec group. Oh, most definitely. I mean, you talk about the talent level that they had last year with, you know, Hunter Hoffman, uh, Bo Seaton, Jake Anderson, uh, and those guys there. And you got quite a few that are moving on to play at the next level uh, from that. And it's a, it's an exciting time for Dupec. Um, if you look back at when they formed the co-op, you know, they kind of were the laughing stock of the conference with both teams finishing 2016 at 0-9. Joining together, they then go into that first season, losing their first straight eight games. And here they are. They come out right where they expected to be. They thought that 2021 would be the year that they would be able to give a legit competitive level for the conference and they did by winning the NUIC outright um, and as far as the excitement level of what's coming up um, you got a very talented freshman freshman and sophomore class that's coming up and you combine that with some of the seniors that they do have coming back if they can get those freshmen to sophomores to be coming in the season up to the level that they can compete and play at as they have been at the lower levels, um, you're going to see Dupec be right where they left off. It's just the development aspect at this point. Yeah, and I think, you know, you just described what becomes the hallmark of, you know, a tradition-rich program, where it's year in and year out, you get a new group of freshmen and sophomores who have seen that varsity team have success when they were, you know, running the sidelines as eighth graders, and they want to be a part of it, and they want to put in the work to do it. So I can see where, yeah, that, that Dupec program will continue to grow because there's kids who, you know, from sixth, seventh, eighth grade have, have bought in now. Looking on the offensive side of the ball for Dupec, running back A.J. Mulcahy is back, 546 yards, five touchdowns. He'll be an impact on the defensive side of the ball as well, 87 total tackles. Will Howard, uh, quarterback slash wide receiver, um, did a little bit of both for him last year. They have a couple of uh, linemen back in Brian Green and Caden Degner. Green will be a force on the defensive side as well as Degner. So guys playing, you know, both ways, offense and defense, which is, you know, what you come to expect in the NUIC, doing it at a high level. What I think is interesting, though, is this Dupec program has the depth. 
they're, you know, combining these two schools means they have a little bit more to draw from being a 3A school in the playoff time. So they have some more depth, which I think becomes very big later in these NUIC football seasons. It's a grind, you know, and if you can have a little bit of extra depth, that certainly helps. And it goes a long way getting into week seven, eight, nine. Oh, most definitely. I mean, you take a look at Dupac's schedule. I mean, it's littered with teams that were state ranked last year. I think five of their nine opponents were all in the state rankings just a season ago, um, including themselves in that state ranking. And then they didn't get any easier with St. Teresa and then meeting up with IC Catholic at the same time. Um, but those are the games that are going to help build this program. Um, and Coach Hoffman is – you know, doing a great job of blueprinting what he wants this program to look like, look like the players are buying into it, which is key to make it succeed. Um, and you're, you're seeing that transformation take place. Um, you know, you, you watch the kids out walking around uh, at Lake Somerset or in Pakatonka or in Duran, and you can just see the physical attributes that the kids have and that's the work that they're putting into the weight room and it's showing out uh, for these guys and you see it when they go to the camps you see it when they're posting their workout videos um, and they're all buying into it and it's it's great I mean you mentioned a couple guys here with Breon Green and AJ Mulcahy you know they've been hitting up some camps AJ was just at Upper Iowa Breon Green's had a couple small D1 uh, looks no offers yet but he's had a couple uh, interest levels there. Um, and if they can provide that spark, I mean, Caden Deckner is a huge piece to this defense and offensive line. Those guys, they bring that senior leadership that can really move this thing forward. And one of the things I really love about the Dupac co-op is, you know, a lot of times you see co-ops happen and both teams, there's a little bit of division there because they're either really close. So they're old rivals and some of the old, the old lineage of those rivals still exists. So there's a little bit of that uh, separations, so to speak. Dupac, you don't really have much of it. They're all in Duran and Pactonic communities. The kids uh, really get together really well. Um, and it's awesome to see. Yeah, I thought it was funny. I think in the offseason, um, you know, the football offseason, I saw a basketball game between Durand and Pecatonica, and it was, I think, Trenton Taylor and uh, Hoffman, you know, doing battle on the basketball court, going against each other. So it was, it was pretty funny. I think it was those two. I'm trying to remember on, on which side of the, you know, house they were. But, yeah, that was, that was really cool to see. And like you said, it is fun to see them really mesh together when it comes to football season. One thing we have to mention about Dupec's schedule, it's tough enough in the NUIC, but then their one non-conference game, they go to the Lincoln Trail and play Knoxville. Knoxville has been a very good football program the last five to 10 years, making the playoffs a lot. So that's a really interesting non-conference game. We'll talk more about Knoxville in our Lincoln Trail preview. That's a really interesting one as well. So Dupec certainly, you know, like every NUIC team, they'll be tested. They'll be, you know, they'll be tested and they'll be, what they hope will be playoff ready when, when it comes to that time of the year. Well, let's keep moving down the way. Forreston, another team that is, you know, battle tested year in and year out. And they're always in mention when we're talking one, a playoffs last year, Forreston was eight and three. They lost in the second round to Lena Winslow, 
But of course, they had the big win over Lena Winslow in week nine. That was what got us all talking heading into the playoffs was that Forest and win and just how good are they? And then, of course, there was the inevitable, well, what about Lena? Are they down? Well, I think Lena proved themselves in that playoff run. But, uh, you know, certainly Forreston made a name for themselves in that week nine effort. You know, talking to Coach Janicki, this team has a strong work ethic. They love the weight room. And, you know, it's that style of football that, you know, Forreston's not really going to surprise anyone. But, you know, in talking to Coach Janicki, hearing from him, they have to perfect what they do best. And that's established the run game. So no surprise there. And Kyle, year in and year out, they, they do that pretty well. Well, it's just one of those things. And really what Forreston has done is they remind me of the old Carthage teams with Jim Unruh when he was coaching there. He wants to perfect four plays to the left, perfect four plays to the right. And they're going to run those plays over and over and over. And that's what Forreston does. They're going to run that double wing down your throat. They're going to run hurry up offense. They're going to get you on the dive, the double dive, the lead, the double lead. They're going to get you on the kickback, the cutback, and everything else that can help to uh, move the ball in different directions while keeping you off balance. And that's what they're looking for. And of course, you know, loving the weight room. Well, in order to play that style of football, you better love the weight room because you <laughs> have to have boys up front in order to make that kind of game plan work for you. Yeah, that's definitely the truth. Looking through uh, some of the players they got back, you know, last year they had so many productive running options. I just felt like every week we were naming four or five different guys. I mean, it was so many options they had to run the ball. They lost a few of those guys, but they do have Caleb Sanders is back. Uh, McKeon Crace is back. Q Frederick, Micah Nelson, you know, a bunch of guys that had a handful of carries leading the way with Sanders. He had 378 yards, six touchdowns. Um, so they have those pieces back. And I think the key for Forreston is like we talked about, these guys have seen it. Now it's their turn to step into that lead role and to become that guy getting the ball. And I think they don't have to rely on one or two. They can rely on three, four or five guys like we've seen. Um, defensively, Casey DeVries is back. He had 48 tackles. Peyton Enkoff, if I butchered that name, I apologize. Kyler Gantz is also back. And Chef. Yes, there we go. There we go. So, yeah, what, what do you see, you know, out of these names and the guys they got coming back? They, they have the – I mean, you, you talked about it with uh, Sanders, Crace, Frederick, and Nelson. I mean, I, I watched all four of those guys up close last year. Yes, they get – they had a plethora of carries. They're all right in that 30 to 40 carry range with the exception of Sanders, who really got a lot more carries towards the end of the season. Um, and, and he had a couple good performances during that run there. Um, I know he had a huge game against GCMS in week eight, which was uh, a big breakout game for him, in my opinion. Um, I was at that game and I felt like he really shined on that day. Um, I believe he had three of his six touchdowns in that game, actually. Um, but, you know, one of the things that you don't see here is the speed, and that's what they have. These guys all have a little bit of speed. They don't have a lot of size, but they definitely have the speed to go with it, and they're going to run hard. So, you know, they run bigger than what they actually are, which makes uh, them tough to bring down at times. Um and then if you get a good line in front of them that can get that push and create that little bit of crack space, 
they're gone in a hurry. And that's what's fun to watch with Forreston. Um, you know, you, they, they continue to do what Diddick had established in his tenure with Forreston. And that's, let's get guys in situations. We're going to, we're going to platoon in, platoon out. We're going to run three plays with these three backs. We're going to run three more plays with these three backs. And what it does is it conditions everybody for the long haul. So, you know, you hear it, you hear it from coach Aaron. You've heard it from coach Diddick in the past. Um, you're starting to hear it from coach Hoffman. You know, we're not playing necessarily for conference titles. We're playing for state titles. And that, and that's the mantra you see coming out of the NUIC. And that's why you see a lot of the success that you have. I mean, you're looking at five teams, most likely they'll start off the season ranked in the state rankings from one conference that has nine teams in it. So it's, it's, it's kind of what the conference has built itself over the last two decades. Yeah, absolutely. And Forreston is one of those teams, you know, like we've always joked with, you know, about Geneseo over the years is they do what they do. You know what, what, what to expect out of Geneseo and, you know, like Forreston does it really well, you know what they're going to do and they usually execute it at a pretty high level. Their non-conference game, Kyle comes in week eight, uh, it's a road trip to Gibson City, Melvin Sibley. Last year, they played them as well. And I feel like last year, we had a little bit of higher expectation for Gibson City, Melvin Sibley. They, they were injured and you know didn't quite have the resume we thought they might. But either way, that, that's a huge 1A slash 2A game coming late in the season. And that's only a tune-up for Forreston because then in week nine, they're playing Lena Winslow. So those last two weeks are really interesting for Forreston. Yeah, I mean, you take a look there and you even add that week seven game with Fulton right before you head into that. Yeah. They got they got they got quite the test in the last half of the season there for themselves. Um, so it will definitely be um, excellent to see what Forston can do. I think in week two, that matchup with Dupec on Labor Day weekend will give us a good taste of what we're looking at. And then they should be on cruise control until about week seven. Um, and, and then they start to hit that gauntlet and, you know, GCMS, they were able to run through them pretty handily last year. Like you said, they were suffering from some injuries. Um, big one was their running back that went to Illinois, Aiden Lawfrey was probably running at like 50% and still somehow managed to get a couple plays in that game. You know, talking to a lot of people in the HOIC, GCMS is going to be one of the teams to watch with Ridgeview Lexington coming out of that conference again. So there's a lot of hype around GCMS coming into this year again. Yeah. Well, you, you nailed it when you said it a few minutes ago, there's always a gauntlet somewhere in the middle of an NUIC football schedule. So Forreston, obviously, like we said, they'll be tested. One of the teams that will test them. We keep moving right along to the Fulton steamers. Their second year in the NUIC Last year, they were 9-3 and three overall, lost in the quarterfinals to Lena Winslow. After two years of having a really senior-dominated team, this year's group is kind of on the opposite end. They'll have to gain that varsity experience really quickly. Uh, Coach Lower did mention this team, he thinks, is, is learning fast. They're picking things up quickly. And I think after seeing success, I think a lot of these you know, underclassmen, they're ready to contribute. They're ready to get the ball. They're ready to be, you know, the guy starting, you know, on a Friday night. Oh, I totally agree with you. I mean, you take a look at some of these guys and they do have uh, a good amount of returning starters or key contributors, especially on the defensive side of the ball. I mean, you see a lot of 
uh, names that you saw last year returning, like Zane Panel, Ryan Eads, Ethan Price, and Braden Damoff. And um, you combine that with what they could do on the offensive side of the ball when they were getting little substitution uh, play there as well. And, yeah, I mean, they, they've nurtured and gained that experience. Um, and, you know, when you are able to do that and you're playing at a high level like the Steamers did last year, uh, you're going to bring back that confidence in yourself and what you can do and, your, you know, and what you think your level of play should be at is going to match what you put out there. So, you know, if your excitement level's high and you got a lot of good things going on, you're going to play very good. And I expect that from Fulton this year. Yeah, you mentioned, you know, some key pieces coming back. Um, Braden Dykstra, the, he'll be the quarterback this year for the Steamers. He did play three games last year when he was uh, stepping in for injury. And Dykstra played pretty well. But I think what really intrigues me is the strength may be their offensive line because they have a lot of depth there. So if you have a good solid line behind a quarterback who's had a little bit of experience, plus, you know, they have running back, uh, Ryan Eads is back, uh, Balin Damehoff, a wide receiver, you know, fast, quick guy, four touchdowns, all conference, honorable mention. So I think, you know, there's some pieces there. Coach Lower will get them in the right places to make an impact along with an experienced or a deep offensive line. I think that's a recipe for success for the steamers once again. Oh, definitely. I mean, you know, coming in that they're going to be starting off in the state rankings. There's no doubt about that. You take a look at the um, front half of their schedule and it's pretty interesting. You go from Galena, who we expect to be somewhat down with the amount of people that they lost. You get West Carroll, but then you have Dupac in week three and you meet up with this team out of Michigan in week four. Yeah, what do we what do we know about Muskegon Central Catholic? Do you have a do you have a read on them or? Uh, I have not done much <laughs> research on them yet. Uh, you you kind of got me ahead of my uh, time to be ready. I had some stuff put together, which is fine. Uh, I have not had the t- chance to look into Muskegon Central Catholic though. I I only expect you to know one state at a time. It's okay. You're <laughs> off. You're off the hook on this one. We'll we'll save that for uh, for down the road for maybe a week one preview. But anyway, yeah, I think Fulton's a great fit in the NUIC. I think they're going to compete once again. You know, Coach Lower always has that team in a position to succeed. So you know, it like we said, it's a tough road in the NUIC, but they're they're a team that can rise to that challenge. Yeah, and you know, I was able to meet up with Coach Lower and DeKalb last year at the state championship game, and you know. Talked to him briefly. He was really excited about being in, in the NUIC. Felt very welcomed by a lot of the teams within the NUIC. And I reiterated the fact that even a lot of the teams that have been established here in the conference were excited that what Fulton was a part of the conference as well. And it is great to see. I love having Fulton in here. Be nice to get another team, maybe uh, Morrison into, <laughs> into yeah. the NUIC, just to you know bring bring some other level of competition to play. Well, you'll have to get grit all over it. That's he's the, he's the Morrison <laughs> guy. So see what he says first and then we'll go from there. So there you go. <laughs> well, let's move from uh, Fulton to Fulton's first uh, week one opponent in Galena last year, five and five overall lost in the first round to Forreston, you know, for this Galena team, I think offensively you have to look at 
they lose such a talented duo in Ethan Heffel at quarterback and Brady Schemmelhorn at wide receiver. I mean, those two put up such good numbers for them and really led the way over the past couple seasons. That that's tough to replace. They do have a uh, senior Sam Eaton back 482 yards, three touchdowns, junior Jack Reese also carried the ball a few times with a couple touchdowns. And on the defensive side of the ball, Jack Reese will also, you know, be there along with Keaton Bauer. So, you know, what, what are your thoughts on Galena going into this year? I mean, it, you know, last year they, they managed to get to five and four and make the playoffs, um, you know, early round exit to Forreston, but they were right there. They played tough again in a, in a tough NUIC conference. They were right there. I mean, if you remember their first game with Fulton last year was very close. Um, and at that moment we, we thought that, you know, we would see a lot of great competition out of Galena and they kind of went Jekyll and Hyde on us last year resulting in the five and four record, but they were able to make it to the uh, playoffs and get back there. And I know that uh, coach free was very excited about that. The kids were excited about being back in the playoffs. We we've seen kind of a decline from Galena until the 2020 season uh, that COVID year. They really broke out with that five and one record had that very close loss to Lena Winslow and a great game and great atmosphere in Lena. Um, and then they followed it up uh, with a, what I would consider to be a successful season for Galena. Um, and, and they, they were right there. I mean, they, they pushed Forrest into the edge uh, in that first round game. I mean, there was a, there was a moment there where you're like, wow, Galena might actually upset Forrest in here. And it was looking that way for quite a while. And then Forrest finally took control of the game. Um, but um, it'll be interesting to see. I Sam Eaton's an electric player. I know we named him to our NUIC uh, player of the week uh, last year in one of the weeks that we had um, very electric player. Uh, he's going to have to, him and Reese are definitely going to have to be some uh, leaders for this team offensively and on defense too, in order for them to see some success. Obviously Keith Bauer is going to be uh, a guy to lean on, on the defensive side of the ball as well. I mean, you look back at how close they were in a couple different games to where the story might have been different for them last year. And I can't help but think that you look at that 2020 spring season, they go five and one, played a great game, almost knocked off Lena Winslow. And you wonder if like they're one of the teams that was really stake bitten by COVID, you know, if they would have had a normal season in 2020 and been able to, you know, see what they can do in a nine game schedule with playoffs, you know, and we'll never know, but uh, best of luck to coach Freed and the, uh, you know, Galena pirates in 2022. Let's keep moving down the way. Eastland Pearl city last year struggled at one and eight head coach. Jared McNutt thinks this year in 2022, the defense will be the strength of this team. They returned six defensive starters and McNutt feels the linebackers are the strength. Kyle can, can, uh, you know, EPC be led by a defense and get a few more wins this year in 2022. Well, I think so. I mean, you know, you always hear offense wins games, defense wins championships. And it's true because if you have a stingy defense, you can rely on them to be able to convert some turnovers into points for you and kind of change the shape of a game for you. Um, kind of like the, the Bears used to play, you know, back in the day. But, uh, you know, you still have to have those offensive pieces. When you take a look at your state championship caliber teams throughout the state of Illinois in all classes, they all perform very well on both sides of the ball. 
And you're usually your state champion is the one that can take a couple punches on the defensive side of the ball and still be able to come back with the offense to put up the points and get you scores in bunches. Um, I do believe that uh, what Coach McNutt has come back is very good. A lot of these kids that he has here are three or four year starters now because unfortunately they had to play when they're underclassmen uh, in not so good situations that EPC faced after that 2018 semifinal appearance and the exodus that they had of all their talent level. Um, and, you know, fortunately they're able to keep a lot of these kids in the program and keep building and developing them. And here we are. Um, it's still going to be a tough road to climb for EPC. I feel this year, it's great that they have the excitement. Um, they do have, uh, quite a bit of, uh, good, solid kids coming back. One of the ones definitely that I'm looking at is Maddox Hayden. He's been a huge player for uh, the Wildcats the last two years. Really stood out mo a lot last year as a junior, is entering the senior year now. So, you know, you got Donovan Kulemeyer and Tanner Purdue, uh, guys that um, also return. They're going to be seniors and Levi Burkholder. So it's going to be interesting to see what they put together here. Yeah, you know, they, you know, Maddox Hayden is the one that stands out to me. He scored seven touchdowns a year ago, but also he's a middle linebacker for him, and that's where Coach McNutt says that he feels like their strength lies. So he's a key piece on, you know, on both sides of the ball, so it's good to have a guy like that in the mix. Well, Kyle, we've gone this long talking about NUIC football. There are Lena Winslow fans screaming at their speakers right now saying, why aren't we talking about the Panthers yet? So here we go. Let's talk some Lena Winslow football last year, 12 and two overall, but the big story, they captured their fifth state title. The first NUIC team to go back to back state championships. Kyle, we've had a lot of amazing NUIC football teams and Lena Winslow is the first one to ever go back to back state titles. That says a lot to me. That is an accomplishment. Well, it's crazy to think when you look at Class 1A state championships throughout the history of the state playoffs, and the NUIC has 24 of them, and the next closest conference has five. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you've not seen an NUIC team go back-to-back -back with a state title before. Well, you know, Lena Winslow and Forreston kind of traded state titles there for a few years, so I think, you know, there you go. That, that shows the depth of this conference. But anyway... The Lena Winslow state champions, they don't really ever rebuild. They, they reload. We've seen it year in and year out. This year is no different. But the headline, I think, for their team, for the NUIC this year, Gunnar Lobdell transfers from Orangeville. He'll step into this Lena Winslow roster. And, Kyle, we talked about it on our first episode of this season. That is a huge impact player adding into a already impact roster. Yes. I mean, when you take a look at what Gunnar Lobdell has done, I mean, at Orangeville, he was playing in 11 man as a sophomore, even as a freshman, he got some carries. Um, you bring him into uh, eight man football and he just tears it up, was the leading rusher in the entire league, was all state. I personally, you know, if they had the award of eight man player of the year, on our perspective, he was eight-man player of the year, and rightfully so. Um, I mean, he ran for 42 touchdowns on offense while rushing for almost 2,400 yards, 
had 123 tackles on defense, 123 tackles in eight man football on yeah. defense. Yeah. I mean, that just tells you how explosive this kid is. And as you said, you, you put him in a, you put him in a offense with Gage Dunker and Jake Zeal, and then you add him to a defense that already has Dunker going off. And uh, you got some other good players there that Lena has coming back as well. Um, it's it's going to be pretty amazing to see what they can do. And, you know, a lot of these guys that are coming back for Lena Winslow had some, a lot of playing time. Um, and, and some of them were starters on one side of the ball, but not the other side of the ball. And, and so you're going to see a lot of growth and maturation, but as typical with Lena Winslow, you're going to see what they always like to call reloading. Yeah. You know, it's interesting you brought up the experience level for this Lena Winslow team. I think I heard it years ago from Coach Paposi at Newman is that, you know, every year they make the playoffs, that's four extra practices potentially that that sophomore is going to get or that junior who maybe didn't start is getting that extra experience, that extra football reps. It goes a long way, you know, when you're year in and year out, if you're able to make the playoffs and give yourselves those extra few workouts and practices to kind of learn and develop. Well, and that's, you know, I've heard some of the same things from either Coach Lano or Coach Aaron over the years, too. If you can make the second round of the playoffs in a consistent basis, you're getting at minimum two more practices than most teams are in the entire state. And, you know, if you can prolong that even further, you're just getting that much more experience. And in Lena Winslow's case, I mean, we talked about it on that first episode. I mean, since 2009, they've only missed making the quarterfinals one time since 2009. So, I mean, they've had the ability to practice up through the quarter semis and state for well over a decade now. And that's how you build such a successful program in a 1A school. Yeah, it is amazing what they do. Let's look through the Lena Winslow schedule here. You know, it's the, it's the standard, uh, you know, the gauntlet. We keep talking about it over and over again. But I think it all kind of caps off late in the season for them. Pecatonica or Dupec in week seven and then Forreston in week nine. But Kyle, it's now officially on the IHSA website. Tell us about week six. This is really interesting. So week six, you know, Lena Winslow had a one-year pickup game with Chicago DePaul because the expectation was – that West Carroll would return to NUIC play for the 2022 season. So some teams went out and they made a one, a home and home like Forreston with GCMS. Most of them did not do that. They went with a one game schedule for one year. Lena Winslow being one of them. It left an opening week six. And ironically, Marion Central Catholic had an opening in week six. And somehow the powers to be made it work out. And here we are with uh, a huge matchup for Lena Winslow. I mean, I remember talking to coach Aaron last year with when he played Chicago to ball prep. I mean, that was a team that did not make the playoffs. They were a three, a school, but you put them in a traditional three, a conference, that team goes eight and one, seven and two, they're in the playoffs and they're at least making it to the second round. Um, that's how good they were. And Coach Aaron even stated, he goes, we may have bit off more than we could chew uh, it, when we put them on our schedule last year. Well, here he is at it again, you know, and this is 
the mindset that he has. We're going to play anybody that wants to challenge us. You know, I remember in the COVID year, they were trying to get a 5A school to play them. And he sent film to that 5A school. They wanted no part to do with Lena Winslow because they didn't play that style of football. You know, and it is. When you're going to play Lena Winslow, you're going to go up against the Bear, and that's what they are these days. A tip of the cap because he's willing to take on anybody, and his players kind of follow that same mentality. Well, Kyle, we got one team left to go through in the 11-man ranks of the NUIC. That is Stockton. Last year, they finished at 3-6. and six. Overall, they return a lot of players who contributed last year, and they'll need to rely on some of that experience. Coach Matt Leitzen has been impressed with their offseason he looks for line play to lead the way at Stockton. I think, you know, over the years, we've heard that before. Stockton, if they have a good line, that goes a long way to their success. That's what NUIC football is. And, you know, that's that's something that Stockton looks to do well. So, you know, what, what do you see out of Stockton this year and what Coach Lightson brings to the table? Well, I mean, you take a look at uh, what they have coming on in the, with the line and, you know, one of the big focal points is going to be Michael Haas. He's only going to be a junior, but the kid is a beast um, on the football field, on the wrestling mat, in the weight room. He's just, he's, he's a different animal. And, you know, I've, I've been hearing about him since his eighth grade year. Um, I've, he's been following my football site on Twitter probably since the same amount of time. And, you know, it's, it's cool to see, uh, kids like that buy into a lot of things that they're doing. Um, and then, you know, you add, like you said, the line, you got the Brocious boys with Dawson and Brady Brocious sitting there. Um, you know, Brady's a hell of a baseball player, went up against him this season. Uh, hell of a pitcher, big first baseman, hits with a lot of power. Um, you know, there's, there's some work that can be done in the weight room with him, some development, but, you know, he's definitely a big kid that's going to create a lot of mass to move. And, uh, you know, I've, I feel that that is going to bode well for Stockton's offense. Um, and then you add in, you know, Griffin Luke at tight end. I mean, there's another wrestler that's gearing up, ready to go. And, you know, you get these guys in the right positions and you're going to have some fun. And, you know, I know Jace Phillips has been busting his butt in the weight room and is really excited to get back out there. And, you know, he's got the right components and, you know, this is why I feel that Stockton's one of those teams. Yeah. They were three and six last year, but they're definitely a team that I posted out on Twitter that, you know, they're a team I'm looking to, watch you know they're that team that could be that dark horse that can go from three and six to six and three and make the playoffs well I, I think what really stands out to me is that coach Leitzen mentioned needing more explosive plays on offense but when you talk about having that experienced line play I think if they can be strong up front and you know lead the way that's that's the foundation right there that's that's what sets up a big explosive play so I I do see what you're saying. I think there's some potential there for Stockton to make that jump. So Kyle, you kind of led into, I was going to ask you, you know, who's your dark horse in the NUIC? Maybe not. We'll get to overall who your prediction is to win the conference, but your dark horse, you kind of already pegged it on Stockton. Is that where you're going to stick? Well, I, I, I really, I had two of them and, and, and really it's, it's Stockton and Dakota. I, I both of them, struggled last year. Dakota was able to squeeze one out over Stockton in a close game. Granted Stockton was a little banged up in that game heading into it, uh, missing their best player. Um, 
But, you know, you still got to play the game where it's at, and Dakota got that one. And, you know, you look at the amount of impact players that they both teams have coming back. Um, I feel either one of these teams can definitely be that team that goes from two and seven, three and six, and turns it into a five and four, six and three playoff run this year. And, you know, that's the beauty of the NUIC, you know, where two teams may not live up to the expectation. There's two more teams ready to backfill that and create the next run of um, into the playoffs. And, you know, many years we've seen it where, you know, our five and four team can go up head to head with a nine and or eight and one team in any other conference in the state. When you put them in class one, a football, I mean, we saw it a few years ago with your uh, Marquette crusaders when they barely edged out Milledgeville in the first round of the playoffs. That's, yeah, that's went, right. The field goal was good too. It went just inside the crossbar for okay. any debate. That we <laughs> <laughs> for any I'm debate. Sure I saw it. I but that's all right. <laughs> well, if you're gonna if you're gonna go Stockton, Dakota was gonna be my pick. I, I really like what Coach Sheets has got going there. It seems like the energy is back in that program. So let's let's see if they can take that next step. That that's the team I think that I could see them flipping that record and getting you know like you said the the five six wins put themselves in a playoff game against a good team from another conference, but maybe the team that hasn't played in caliber schedule like the NUIC so I'll go I'll go there with uh with Dakota but now now the big pick who's gonna win the conference honestly money's got to be on Lena Winslow I mean you take a look at the ratings you take a look at who they have coming back you take a look at every aspect of it and right now you know I would have to say Lena Winslow is a two touchdown favorite over everybody in the conference at this point at the start of the season. Now, obviously injuries or other options or things can happen. We're talking about high school boys after all, but you know, right where we're at right now, I feel that Lena Winslow is definitely the pick to win the conference. And, you know, it's they're, they're heavy favorites. I can't, I can't argue that at all. I, I can't argue that at all. I'll go Lena Winslow, but I'll put you on the spot. Maybe this is a tougher question. Who finishes number two? Who's the second team in this conference? You know, that I have to, that, that's a hard one. I mean, <laughs> we, I'm putting you on the spot. I didn't tell you this one. I know. And that's tough because like we just talked about, Fulton's got a very good defense coming back. Dupex got a great plethora of upcoming sophomores to join up with their seniors and juniors that are ready to go. And, Forreston, you know, Coach Janicki always does what Didick always did, and Forreston's going to be right there in the mix. Honestly, I think you take one of those ha- one of those teams out of a hat, and you can't be wrong. I won't. I won't pin you down. I won't make you pick one right now. But I, I agree. I think those those are the names that came up to me as well. Okay, All I'll right. give you. One. I'm going Dupec number two. All right, there you go. He's he's on the board as Lena Winslow number one, Dupec number two. I. I like that's yep that makes a lot of sense. I I'm going to I'm going to toe the line and be the be the host that doesn't make an official prediction like that, but uh I like that I got you on to do it. So I have no problem putting it out there. Absolutely, absolutely. All right, well Kyle, that take a breath. That's the 11 man ranks of the NUIC. We still got some 8 man football to talk about here. 
Let's dive right into the eight-man ranks. A little bit of different uh, look for the conference structure for the eight-man division this year. Now it's going to be five different conferences. There's the Central 1, Central 2, North 1, North 2, and the South. Our big conference with most of our teams is the North 2. But we'll also talk about, um, maybe before we get into the North 2, I do want to talk a little bit about West Central and Ridgewood, uh, both former LTC Lincoln Trail Conference teams that are now in the eight-man division. West Central's been there for a couple years. This will be Ridgewood's first year going down to eight-man. We'll start with Ridgewood. It's their first year in eight-man football. Pat Elder takes over as head coach. We talked about him in our uh, episode one, our kind of big season kickoff episode. He has such an impressive resume at the 11-man level. I'm excited to see what he can do. They struggled last year. They were 0-9, but back in 2019, they were a playoff team. So, you know, the Cambridge and Alwood, they have, you know, talent in there somewhere. Cambridge has a rich football tradition. We'll see what they can do at the eight-man division. Um, But Kyle, a team we know pretty well at the eight-man ranks is West Central. They were their division champ a year ago. Since making the switch to eight-man football, West Central is combined to go 14-3. and So, Kyle, they have built an impressive resume. I guess the question now moving forward is with a more experienced team this year, they bring a lot back. Can they take that next step? Can they knock off one of the, one of the NUIC teams, the eight man teams? Well, it wasn't so long ago that they came up here and put a whooping on polo. So that's true. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, can they? Absolutely. Um, You know, they, they do bring back some good, great pieces like Keaton Drosty coming back. Um, a lot of speed out of Josie in that backfield. Uh, and in the eight-man game, you know, you just need that one guy that has top-level speed, and he's that guy. And, um, you know, if you can make a crease, he's gone. Head coach Jason Kirby's crew advanced to the eight-man semifinals last year before falling to eventual state champion in Polo. So they were right on the doorstep last year. We talked a lot about them. They have, you know – they have the impressive pieces and they played really well. And they, you know, they fell short against Polo in kind of a lopsided game in the state semis. So I guess that's where my question comes is, you know, now coming into this year, can they make that next step? But it'll, it'll be interesting to watch and follow along with because the teams that they're really going to battle against, I think are going to be coming from the North too, right? Wouldn't you think? Uh, yeah. I mean, you take a look at where they're at and I know that they have, a non-conference game with Amboy. Um, who else they have? They're playing Milledgeville. Yeah, they're going to have their hands full uh, for moving up here for sure. Kyle, let's look into that North 2 division, that conference that we've talked about. Amboy, Freeport-Aquin, Hanover-River Ridge, Milledgeville, Orangeville, and Polo. You know, we talked about the gauntlet in 11, man. This is the gauntlet in eight-man football. And we'll start with a team that I think you're really excited about. Let's start with Amboy. Last year, they were five and four in the regular season, but they came on real strong in the playoffs. They won two playoff games, defeating Aquin and Milledgeville. They got a lot of pieces back. And when I say a lot, I mean a lot. These guys return a lot of talent that had a lot of production. They do. And I mean, really, they came as a surprise. I mean, you expect them to make the playoffs last year either at four and five or five and four. I can't really remember exactly where I had projected them. I know they were in the playoffs though, in my projection. 
And I think that by going into week nine, I had him finishing five and four. Um, but uh, I did not um, expect them to do what they did by um, upsetting Aquin in the first round and then upsetting Milledgeville in the second round. I had Milledgeville going to the semis for sure. Uh, but uh, yeah, they really turned it on and then they met up with Orangeville and got the short end of the stick there. Uh, for the second time around. And really when you take a look at Orangeville is the one team that really laid the hammer down to Amboy uh, in the regular season. And they did it again in the playoffs. So um, what they have coming back is just amazing. Uh, You have Tucker Lindemeyer back at quarterback who led the team in rushing with 12 touchdowns on 822 yards. He also was their leading passer for 988 yards and another 16 touchdowns. He's got Kai Cook coming back in the backfield with 477 yards rushing and five touchdowns. And he's got his leading receiver, fellow All-Stater, Brennan Blaine, who had 692 yards receiving with, a, with 12 touchdowns. So they have a lot of explosiveness coming back uh, this year. And then you combine that with a lot of their defensive returners. That includes some of those guys along with Levi McKinley and Quinn Luffelman. And um, Amboy is definitely poised to make – a lot of noise in 2022. I was going to say, well, we may be jumping ahead here, but that that sounds like your dark horse or maybe even your favorite. That's, uh, you know, maybe that's a tease ahead. But yeah, Amboy looks really primed for a good season. And, that, and that's great. That's, that's why I think this eight-man division is so important for these schools that numbers just aren't there to compete at 11-man. So to see them have that success last year and really become a threat at the end of the year now to see if that can carry over. That's, that's, what's really exciting. That's, you know, what we're doing here. Um, Kyle talk a little bit about Freeport Aquin. They were six and four overall lost to Amboy. Like we referenced in the first round, their numbers as a school are, are really low. So, you know, it's, it's almost a dangerous territory. I think I saw on the IHSA website, their school enrollment is like 88. So, yeah. You know, I know they bring in a lot of athletes, but uh, man, that that number is jarring because that's that's a really low enrollment. It is. And you take a look at a lot of their kids that they have returning and you have a lot of youthful talent. I mean, a lot of their returners are going to be sophomores and juniors. They have very few uh, seniors returning. Um, So. And then I know that there's a couple people that are potentially moving out of district. Um, I believe the Hively kid is moving to Byron. And um, I think the Eggy kid might even be leaving to go to Freeport. So um, it's interesting to see. I'm not sure if those two guys will make that move or make that jump, but it's just part of the rumor mill that I've heard up here. Um, but they do return Aiden Wolf at quarterback, who had a strong season last year, led all um, eight-man quarterbacks with 1,908 yards passing with 19 touchdowns. So um, finding the uh, wideouts to go with it are going to be the challenge for Aquin. I mean, they have Cooper Hathaway and Hunter Buss and Adam Awender returning. Um And it's really going to depend on what they can do. You know, last year they really became two dimensional. They were able to throw the ball, but usually it was targeted to one player. Um, They're able to run the ball, but there again, they weren't always effective. And I think that's what led to their demise when they got to the playoffs is 
a lot of teams started to figure out exactly what Aquin was going to do and it shut him down. Yeah. Having Wolf back at quarterback, I mean, either way is, uh, is just a dynamic weapon to have. So we'll see if, like you said, if they can build some pieces around him and, you know, Aquin's been a good eight man program and they were a good 11 man program before that. So, you know, we'll see if they can continue to move in the right direction and, you know, and keep themselves as a very viable, you know, candidate to potentially win that conference and make some noise in the eight man playoffs. A couple more, a few more teams to cover here. River Ridge was three and six a year ago. They returned Sam Reese at quarterback, Jack Kettleson at wide receiver, um, have a handful of running backs, George Winter, Seth Nicholas, LeBron Ransom, and they have some line play. So a three and six River Ridge team, but a lot of pieces on the offensive side of the ball. So, um, you know, we'll see if they can improve that record. Well, like you stated, you, um, you listed Seth Nicholas. I feel that, uh, you know, he's definitely going to be um, one of the guys to watch, a key um, leader for the River Ridge team. Obviously, he's the son of head coach Doug Nicholas. Um, he's definitely uh, put a lot of work together. He's only going to be a junior, so, I mean, there's still some – youthfulness there you know last year playing as a sophomore got a lot of experience um kind of played in different areas um he was able to run the ball he received the ball uh so we'll see how um he plays out there had 266 yards uh rushing with a touchdown had 51 yards uh receiving and then he was one of their leading tacklers on the defensive side of the ball as well. He had 36 tackles, six tackles for a loss with an interception, a fumble recovery. So um, definitely one of the guys to watch. Brian Appleby is going to be another one on the defensive side of the ball, also a junior. He's their leading tackler coming back. Had 61 tackles last year, five for a loss. Um, like you said, at quarterback, you got Sam Reese returning. Didn't have a whole lot of experience last year playing in the backup role, but he'll be a senior this year. Um, definitely uh, a, a kid that is a coach's kid as well. He's assistant coach Josh Reese's son. Um, so he's got a lot of that um, ability to understand the game, uh, which is very critical, especially in a QB role to have. And, and you know, it's hard to – tell where River Ridge will be they're, they're still somewhat young they played a lot of freshmen and sophomores last year which will be sophomores and juniors this year um it, it's just going to take a little bit of development and time and you know like everything else you got to have that commitment to the weight room and if they can do that and keep it going throughout the season they might be able to make a better run this season than last season yeah, I mean, having those guys returning and, and still being kind of a young core, there's seems like the future, there's potential there in the future for this River Ridge program. Let's stick with uh, two of the two of the teams that were on the top end last year. They were We were talking a lot about Orangeville and Milledgeville. They had great eight-man seasons a year ago. Let's start with Milledgeville. The Missiles finished at nine and two. They returned some key pieces that we talked a lot about Kyle, this Milledgeville Missile team, we had a lot of expectation for them last year. They didn't quite make it as far as maybe we thought that state championship game we thought we'd see them in. But either way, it's a lot of talent there, and Coach Robles got uh, this Missile's eight-man program looking real good. You know, that's one of the things. I'm glad you touched on that because they had that week one loss to Polo in what was a pretty close game, and then 
They had a second week game against Amboy, which they won, which was a, a, a good battle for them. And then from there on out, they rolled everybody, including Orangeville, uh, to finish out the season. So, yeah, heading into the playoffs, I remember on our playoff show, we were talking about how Milledgeville was that team that we could see being uh, a team that could upend Polo um, because of how much familiarity they had gained with the eight-man game throughout the course of the season. And, yes, they they did end up coming up short with that loss to Amboy, um, which was another exciting game, again, for both the Clippers and the Missiles. Um and, and this year, yeah, they return, they return a lot. Um, line play is going to be their biggest um, area of concern. But, uh, you know, they do have Eric Ebersole coming back uh, to help anchor that line. But offensively, uh, in, the, in the key critical positions, you got Connor Nye, who was electrifying at quarterback last year. I mean, he threw for 1,589 yards and 29 touchdowns and then coupled that with another 489 yards on the ground with another 13 touchdowns. And, you know, I called him Mr. Excitement last year. And you could easily argue that he could have been your eight-man player of the year uh, coupled with uh, Gunnar Lobdell from Orangeville just with the amount of – abilities that he had i mean i think even yeah he had two receptions last year for 15 yards and a touchdown there as well so you know he kind of did it all but really he was the gunslinger uh that we expect him to be and for a sophomore he really took control of that offense and did great things with that you got bryce audi coming back who was his leading target with 709 yards receiving and 10 touchdowns and then you got case johnson back as well so um he's he's got the team around him uh, to make things happen. You got Bryce McKenna back, who was a sophomore as well, will be a junior uh, that will probably pick up more carries in the backfield this year. And we'll see what they do. I mean, a lot of their offense last year was built upon the play action and basically allowing Connor to decide if he wanted to throw or pass. And it created a lot of chaos, especially in the eight man game for the defensive opponents to kind of keep them in check. And they found a lot of success there. And I would, I would expect coach Robel to stick with a similar game plan with more experience uh, in those critical positions as well. Yeah. I can see Milledgeville once again, being, you know, a name we talk about a lot in the eight man division. And we have to talk about Orangeville. We'll wrap up with Orangeville. They finished a regular season of eight and one, made a great run in the playoffs in the eight man playoffs, falling just short to Polo in the state championship. I believe of all the eight men game, eight man games last year, that was one of the lowest final scores we saw. Twelve eight final, I believe, in the state championship game where Polo came away the winner. But um, you know, you don't you don't see that all. We joked a lot about the offense on you know eight man, but. The defense showed up in that state championship game that Orangeville fell just short. What do we look in 2022 for this Orangeville squad? Well, unfortunately, you know, numbers are down. They're going to have anywhere from 22 to 24 kids. I was talking to uh, re-established head coach Jay Doyle on what his expectations are. And, you know, he's, he's definitely hopeful. He thinks his team will be better than what, outsiders are predicting um 
obviously I do feel that we'll see somewhat of a drop off. Um, they're leading rusher is Blake Fulgate, and he's actually their only rusher coming back now with the loss of Gunnar Lobdell transferring to Lena Winslow. So offensively, he's their only threat returning um, with 380 yards rushing and three touchdowns. Defensively, he's also their leading tackler coming back. So they have a lot of holes to fill, and you're going to have to see um, guys like Gavin Roth and Ben Briggs really step up both for sophomores last year, juniors this year. Um, you know, at times both of them struggled on the defensive line um, and on the offensive line for that matter, when they had opportunities. I know Gavin Roth was a starter on the offensive line last season. So I expect the same this year. And I would expect to see Ben Briggs uh, starting both ways as well this year. Um but they're going to definitely have to make some big strides in order to find success. Uh, and, you know, I think we can see Orangeville probably more middle of the road this year, especially when you look at their, their schedule right out of the gates is Milledgeville and Polo. So, um, you know, you got, you got two tough games right out the gates. Um, then you, then you kind of calm it down, but then week five, you pick up Amboy again. So, well, really, they don't get a they don't get a bypass anybody. So yeah, yeah, it's tough for them. It, there's never yeah, it's hard to find you know those weeks in the NUIC schedule, whether it's eight man or eleven man that that is you know that that seems to be a sure win. There was a hard to come by. Well, Kyle, we'll save the best for last. The Polo Marcos last year thirteen and zero eight man state champions. The story for the defending state champs is that they return. They're two top-tier running backs, but they do need to replace some linemen. But either way, Avery Grenoble and Brock Soltau, man, getting those two guys together again in the backfield, that's a great start for this polo team, right, if they're trying to do what they did last year? Well, it's a great start both offensively and defensively. I mean, you take a look at Grenoble on the defensive side of the ball even. He led the team in tackles from a linebacker position. And if you remember that state championship against uh, Orangeville, he was the one that was creating a lot of chaos in the backfield for the Broncos uh, or for the Marcos against the Broncos, um, being able to thwart the running game of Lobdell to help shut them down and limit their uh, opportunities. Um, so um, getting those two guys back is definitely huge. And obviously, you know, Soto is only going to be a junior. Grenoble going to be a senior. Um, and you're getting 3,200 plus career yards out of them coming back. Uh, and you know, who, who's not going to say, yeah, give me that. Yeah. This Polo Marco team has as impressive as a resume of any of the teams we mentioned, maybe Amboy's in the mix as well, but we've talked about Milledgeville what they return and a few others before I make you pick your favorite kind of from our area. What are some teams around the state that kind of catch your eye that maybe we should be watching for in the eight man division? Well, I think uh, Milford Cisna Park, you know, we, they were the 2018 state champs, obviously uh, 2019, they went back to the state championship game where they lost to Polo uh, here, you know, they were kind of hit with some injuries, uh, which did not give them a, a record that they should have had, but then they, they, they run into Polo again in the, in the quarterfinals and talk about a offensive fire output man 62 to 52 and at one point Milford Cisna Park had Polo on their heels 
uh, because MCP had the lead in that game before Polo finally uh, put up the final run there to give them that 10-point victory. So I think outside of up here, MCP is definitely one of those teams to watch uh, in that southern half. Um, we already talked a little bit about West Central. I definitely think that they're going to be a team to talk about. Um, and, you know, I, I can't remember how much Decatur Lutheran loses, but they went 6-0. and and then in the COVID year, last year they were five and four. Um, but, you know, a couple of those losses were due to uh, having players out for COVID. So you can't really count. I mean, yes, there are losses in the record book, but you didn't get to see the true team that they had. And they got paired up with West Central. And what was a thriller of a first round game there that West Central only won 38 to 28. So I think uh, you'd look at those teams. Um, Decatur Lutheran, MCP, and West Central. I think those are the teams you're really looking at. And um, one other is could be, you know, Flanagan, Cornell, Woodland as well. They they put together a pretty successful campaign last year before losing to South Beloit. Yeah, well, let's look at, you know, who's our favorites from that north too, you know, from our area that we, that we really like. I, you got to look at Polo right away. But Amboy and Milledgeville, Kyle, I tell you what, I can't wait for week three, Amboy and Milledgeville. That, that seems like a real, de, you know, decisive game there that when you put them up early in the season, that's a big one, I think. But where do you stand? Where do you stand on, uh, you know, who ends up at the top of this conference? Well, it's kind of funny because I had uh, polo quarterback Tyler Merdian um, ask me, where I was going in week one. And I was trying to figure out, you know, well, man, I haven't really thought about where I'm going in week one. It's only the beginning of July. I mean, <laughs> I honestly, I, the schedules just came out on the seventh and I really hadn't had a chance to peruse them. And then I go start going through them. And it's like, Oh, wow. You want to talk about a game? You got polo and Amboy in week one. It's like, man, maybe I know where I'm going. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, does that decide the conference in week one? It seems crazy, but man, that those are two teams we're high on. It, they, they are. I mean, I'm, yes, I love Milledgeville. They're definitely going to have to work some kinks out on their offensive and defensive lines, which I feel that coach Robel will be able to do. But if you had to ask me to pick the top two teams right now, coming into the season, I'm going to tell you it's Polo and Amboy and, yeah, that's a that's a hot ticket right there in week one. I mean, you're talking week three with Milledgeville and Amboy, which I agree is another huge matchup and is probably going to be must-see for the eight-man game as well. But, uh, you know, I, I do think that right now Polo's got the pedigree. They got the experience. They're back-to-back state champs. They have the firepower returning. Yes, you're losing Murdy in that quarterback, but guess what you're getting that quarterback? His younger brother, Carter. So, you know, he already, he's like Tyler, is a studious person of the game of football, will be able to run the offense, not make mistakes, be able to manage the game, get the ball in the hands of uh, the playmakers and, and make that offense continue to click and go. And that, you know, that's, that's what Polo needs. And, defensively you know we've already talked about their speed their team speed their ability to attack the gaps and shut down offenses you know and Amboy's going to be explosive and um 
I think that they can match the Marcos, but right now I got to go Polo number one and boy number two. Yeah, it's hard to argue that. I think, uh, you know, regardless of where you look, 11-man or 8-man football, there are going to be so many great matchups in this conference that it's hard to go wrong. Kyle, thank you so much for joining me. The knowledge you have on this conference, I love it. I love diving into all of it. We certainly have plenty to talk about throughout this season as we've just laid out. Next week, we will have the Three Rivers and the Lincoln Trail Conference previews with Mitch Stormer. He'll be on to break those down with me. On August 8th, it'll be our Western Big Six preview. And then we still got another couple episodes in there before we get into the regular seasons. Kyle, tell everybody, you know, head to NUICfootball.com. Anything you want to promote? What do you got coming up this season? What are you looking forward to? Well, I mean, one of the things that I've been asked about is, are, are, are we going to bring our YouTube channel back? And uh, the, the answer to that is yes. One way or another, I will be putting out our weekly YouTube uh, videos where we dive into recaps of the week prior and we go into previews of the week coming up. We talk about the teams to watch, the players to watch, what's going on, um, and, and start to develop what we see outside of the conferences, potential teams to look at when we get to the playoffs as well. Um, like I said, a lot of people have been asking about that. And, uh, you know, I was going to start up my own podcast and I was like, you know, the videos are a lot of fun. We already have it established. Let's just stick with it. So it's going to, we're, we're bringing back the YouTube videos full, full bore every week. Um, so I'm excited about that. Obviously, you know, we, we continue to do the updates with the state rankings, uh, the power rankings, uh, different articles every week. Tune in on Facebook, tune in on Twitter, uh, at NUIC football, and you're, you're going to get what you want when it comes to small school football. Absolutely. A ton of great information. I always love following along. So, uh, Kyle, love what you do. We'll be in touch for sure. And before you know it, we'll be talking about, you know, the real games on the field. October 22nd, 7 o'clock. And, and yes, October 22nd, 7 o'clock. Kyle, you do your big playoff preview, which I made the trip out last year. So, yeah, once we get through all nine weeks of this chaos, we'll break down the playoffs. I love it. That's a great, that's a great time. Can't wait for that. So, uh, in the meantime, there's a lot to be sorted out. So, we'll be talking about it along the way. Oh, yeah. It's going to be a lot of fun. I'm excited. Can't wait. That'll do it for this week's episode of View from the West. Thank you so much for listening. I encourage you to go out to Apple Podcasts or Podbean and subscribe so you can follow along and downloads will come automatically every week. You can follow along on Twitter at ViewFromWestPod. You can also email me if you're interested in being a sponsor, ViewFromWestPod at gmail.com. Thanks so much. We'll see you next week.